0: Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark and today I am joined by guest Swizzets Teller. Swizzets, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So we are in a Slack room together with a whole bunch of fun entrepreneurial type people and I I asked everyone what I thought was a simple question about (laughs) whether or not they had a job or they worked for themselves and I got like and I got a million, I got more questions back than answers, so we wanted to talk about that a little bit today. Um, but, Swizz, first, could you introduce yourself, let folks know a little bit more about uh, where you're coming from?
1: Yeah, yeah. so hi, I'm Swizz. I'm a software engineer, author, educator. Uh, I've started dabbling with angel investing as well, and um, to give you like a broad perspective of my career, I Actually started as a startup founder. When that didn't work out, I went into freelancing and was running solo for a few years. And now I actually have a Silicon Valley day job, and I run a like a publishing business on the side where I teach people about software engineering. And lately, I've mostly been foc- uh, I've been focusing on teaching something I call the senior mindset about how to essentially apply consulting type thinking to your day job so that you can really rocket ship your career.
0: Mm, Excellent, yeah, I love that. That's cool. Um, Okay, so what, I mean, such a wide ranging background, right? Like like really a lot of stuff, all in tech, but I mean, just educator, Mm -hmm. um, you know, info products, books, author, uh, employee, founder, it's like, what didn't you do? (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah so how do you think of yourself so let's start with the with the silicon valley day job i think you phrased Mm -hmm. it It, it, maybe this is just semantics and maybe it doesn't matter but do you consider that a job job and if you do why do you consider that a job or is it more like something you do full time but you see it more of of a as a contract thing or a service that you offer like how do you think about that
1: right so the main reason so Originally the main reason I came to Silicon Valley was because where I'm from, there aren't that many huge opportunities. And I always felt like, I, I read about all these software engineers on the internet and how amazing they are and how big, how big of an impact they can have on technology, the world, etc. And I was like, well, I'm just as talented as they are. I want to do that shit too. <laughs> but yeah. So when I made it to Silicon Valley, I very quickly realized that the market here doesn't really hire freelancers. Um, at least they try not to hire freelancers for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's also really hard to get visas as a freelancer. Oh. Um, and it turns out that San Francisco is very expensive and your amazing freelancing business that you were running from Europe suddenly starts feeling very small and short and it's uh, essentially it was easier and better to get a job um, because maybe Silicon Valley is a little weird in that, but unless you have Silicon Valley experience, they count it as you don't have experience. Mm -hmm. Even if you have 20 years in different types of industries or whatever, once you come to Silicon Valley or to a Silicon Valley style startup, it essentially resets to zero because the way of working is just that different. The the whole ecosystem is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so nowadays, I actually, after observing this system for a while, I realized that most of the mo- the most successful Silicon Valley people actually work a lot more like consultants. Like the the average um, the aver- I think the average tenure for a software engineer in in Silicon Valley style startups is eighteen to twenty four months, which is kind of a lot closer to a very long contract. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So a lot of people end up becoming experts in very specific things for very specific stage of a company. And they've changed their, their, their pitch, their behavior from, I am a software engineer. I will come and I will code whatever you ask. They turn it into more of a, I am a software engineer. I built companies from seed to B, and I know what it takes to get you from that one to $5 million initial investment to a company that raises $100 million and has 300 employees. Mm -hmm. And the founders who are looking for that sort of thing and people who want to work in that kind of environment, Silicon Valley is a really great place for that. Now, because of the VC market and everything else, that's usually structured as a day job or as a full-time employment, but people actually operate as, I'm going to get you from this stage to the next stage. And once you're there... I'm not. I'm not really that interested anymore. So I'm going to bail and go find somebody else who is in my sweet spot of what I enjoy working on.
0: Mm, okay. So that that really does clear up the sort of Slack conversation we were having. So it's kind of like you, the compensation model is like, <clears throat> look, here's how we want to think of you. So from the employer side, here's how we want to think of you. We want to think of you as an employee, and we mm-hmm. want to be able to say to VCs for our next round that we have this many employees. Exactly. Perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but the employee knows that it's it's a uh, eighteen to twenty four months tops, mm-hmm. and
1: they're just going to jump to another job. Yeah, or if it's going really well, a lot of people stay for the full four to five years because of the vesting cycles.
0: Right. So, in terms of the employer's expectations on your time, so so that that'll before I get to that, that all makes sense mm-hmm. to me. It's like the the rules of this game are such that um it's just easier it's easier for me to pretend to be an employee (laughs) air quotes than it is to like run around being a consultant because people are like what we don't hire consultants like that's not necessary it's like well i can do the exact same activities as an employee but so that that makes sense from a compensation standpoint Mm -hmm. so but what about the expectations of your contribution because the expectations of a contribution are in my experience wildly different so if i'm mm-hmm. consulting with someone in a similar capacity so not like advisory retainers but like in when i was building software mm-hmm. and value pricing things and giving you know giving fixed prices for projects that were often 12 to 24 months a lot of times weighing in around 18 mm-hmm. uh, i had complete autonomy over my calendar so is that also true with like what this sort of arrangement
1: that you have or you observe, have observed i think that part tends to vary based on companies um, some companies are very but in seat time i think those yeah. are usually the smaller companies with less experienced management mm-hmm. um, but the bigger the company the more experienced the people around you i find the more of that available the more autonomy you end up having and also Surprisingly, I think this works the same in freelancing and consulting. The more money you're paid, the more autonomy you have. Yeah. Um, So, like at my current position, because we're fully remote uh, due to the pandemic, but even before, really, there's no, I can just put a block on my calendar and say, Hey, I'm not available then. Mm. And nobody really cares how much I work as long as uh, the results are there and I show up for important meetings. Mm -hmm. that's really the only thing anyone cares about. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of setting boundaries, that is always up to you. Like my girlfriend works at the big fortune 500 and it might actually be a fortune 100. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, she can just say, Hey, I'm not feeling good today and block off the entire day and it's fine. Or she can stop working at 4 PM. But you know, some other times, somebody in a different time zone has something important and she has an immovable meeting at 7 a.m. And that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're always on the job, you're always available, but nobody's expecting you to be always available, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, right. Like, you need need to be available at really any time, but in case the bat phone rings, but it doesn't always ring.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, go ahead. And then I think also that, that comes with being paid more. The more of The more of a higher position you have or the more authority you have the more you're able to move those things around and say yo i'm not available at 7 a.m can we move this to 9 a.m and most people will be fine with that they'll just figure it out
0: Mm -hmm. okay and do you say i mean you did say that it's company to company but is that in your experience pretty common or not that common or is it becoming more common because of the pandemic that that people are the companies or managers or founders are more comfortable with people's schedule being kind of fluid as long as you hit the high notes mm-hmm. so to speak.
1: Mm, it's definitely becoming more common with the pandemic just because everyone had, had was forced to try remote and was like, "Oh shit, this is amazing." Um and usually there's some core hours when you're expected to be available and anyone can throw a meeting on your schedule. Mm-hmm. But I think it mostly comes down to how savvy you are with realizing that you have this power. I think a lot of people, especially younger people, when they're starting employment, they don't realize that they have the ability to say no to things. Mm -hmm. And I think that really helps uh, just being able to say, hey, this is my schedule. This is when I work best. You hired me because you want me to do a job, not because you want me to keep your seats warm. (laughs) Um, And in my experience, most people are fine with that, as long as you're actually providing the results. The problem are a lot of people want to have that flexibility, but aren't providing the results. And that's when you often then start seeing more of the management by time, which Mm -hmm. is often as secretly a signal that you're not pulling your weight or you're not meeting expectations.
0: Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've certainly, I had one job in corporate America and it was very much... You know, you needed to be there by the time you, you were supposed to be there, and you needed to stay until the time you were supposed to stay. So in, there was some flexibility. F- you know, for example, mm-hmm. uh, it was near Boston when I you know I worked there, and I commuted about an hour to get there, and the traffic was just awful. It was just atrocious. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, t- I I had to be there for eight hours, but I talked to my direct manager and said, hey, could I you know could I do like a, a ten o'clock to six o'clock thing just so I miss the traffic. And she was like, yeah, no problem. But but there was very little yeah. ability to say like, oh, um, how about I just like take a half day? Or how about I don't work Fridays? Like that would never have flown. But, you know, this is back in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, you know, probably that same team, if they even exist anymore. And in fact, they don't. But <clears throat> it's probably 100% remote now anyway. Yeah. So it would be... Yeah. The t- time is just, I mean, what is it, what is it, like 20 years later? Yeah. So, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think corpor- like corporate, corporate life is still a lot more like that, but I think mm-hmm. that's changing as well. Like, um, a common trick in Silicon Valley is they don't tell you, you have to stay late. Instead they're like, hey, if you happen to stay until 8 p.m., you get free dinner. Or mm-hmm. hey, if you happen to come in early, you get free breakfast. Rather than you have to come in early, because mm. um, especially around here they're also competing with very cushy, very highly remunerated jobs. It's like every startup wants to have the the level of employee who could have easily gone to Facebook, making three four hundred k a year, and you know being relatively cushy over there, from what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, except they want you to work quote, unquote, startup hours for half that or even less. And, you know, they have to offer something to keep you. Right.
0: Yeah. So it's flexibility, basically. Yeah. And free breakfast.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, it depends on, depends on what you like and how you negotiate with your manager. But I think the, once you have the results and people are seeing those results and you know how to communicate that you're getting the results. So like, Very easy to have to do a lot of really good work that stays invisible. But once those things are in place, I think the flexibility just starts coming.
0: Mm, Okay, so in the consulting space, um, and I mean true consulting, like not just a freelancer that decided to call themselves a consultant because they heard someone say that they can charge more, but someone Mm -hmm. who has changed. Yeah, but someone who has changed into a consultative kind of mindset and is really doing advisory work Mm -hmm. they there's this sort of maturation process that seems to happen with that transformation i don't know if it's chicken or egg but where you start to get super focused on results and Mm -hmm. a lot less focused on saying well oh i put in the time you owe me the money it's like the as you start to increase your altitude of involvement with the client. You're dealing with people farther and farther up the food chain. They don't care how long it takes you to get results. They just want the results. And in fact, the faster you can do it, the better. So Mm -hmm. in theory, you know, if you could just wave a magic wand and provide the results, then they would be delighted to pay you full boat because everybody's thinking about the results at that level. So in a, in a situation, maybe, maybe not speaking for yourself, but maybe for people that are more junior, how do you start changing your mindset and perhaps even the mindset of your manager to focus more on results instead of warming a seat?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's also a big transformation that happens in full-time employment. And I see that a lot with software engineers where in the beginning, they're very focused on just doing the work and coding away. Mm -hmm. And then as you progress in your career, you start getting more and more concerned with results. Um, like a really good, I think a quote that really changed my mind in this perspective was from a CTO a couple of companies ago who said, Look, dude, it doesn't matter how good the code is if we don't survive. Like we need to survive first, then we can focus on code quality. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, that is so true. I was just I was just over here worrying about engineering excellence, and we're still not even making money. What? Right. Who cares about engineering excellence? Um,
0: yeah, that's exactly it. Especially with engineers and software, you know, software developers, whatever you want to call them. They, or really any technician of any mm-hmm. kind. It could be, uh, it could be a video production, audio, anything, anything. It's really easy for folks who well first of all haven't run their own business or don't think of their freelance freelancing as running a business they just think of it themselves as a technician a pair of hands who does this craft mm-hmm. and they do it really well they just it's like they just stop thinking at 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 best practices and they're like this is the most elegant code i've ever written this is the most perfectly edited podcast episode ever this is the most beautiful set of hand-carved chairs that i've ever mm-hmm. made but <laughs> If it doesn't provide business value, it, it might, you might as well throw it in the garbage. Like it doesn't matter. Yes, exactly. So, right. So if you're a junior and you're starting to think along those lines, the question I always used to ask when it wasn't that I was junior, but the question that I always asked to, to bring people around to the, you know, the, the, either the client or the boss around mm-hmm. to the idea of focusing on results uh, would be like they'd run in and they'd say, Hey, could you, you know, add something to the website? Or could you, you know, could you do this task?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I would say, yeah, definitely. What's the business case? Yep. So I would turn it around on them and say, like, how will I? How will we all know that this was a smart thing to tell me to do? How will we know that mm-hmm. this was a success? How will we know that I did it well? How will I know which way to do it? Because there might be ten ways to do it, and and some of them wouldn't reach the desired outcome of the request or request or. and other ones would, or certain things would paint us into a corner because then the next request would be. To build on top of that with something else that it didn't prepare for. Mm -hmm. So, so that question like, yeah, I can do that, but what's the business case? I think. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important to just start asking that. Um, But it also depends on what kind of companies you're working with. Mm -hmm. A lot of startups these days are trying to follow the. um, I don't know if, I don't know how popular this is outside of Silicon Valley yet. But the OKR process, where the idea is that instead of telling people what to do, you tell them what to achieve, uh, and define business objectives and business metrics. Oh, so good. every, so ideally, if you work on in a modern company, you are working on a team where the only mandate that comes from up top is achieve this business metric. You guys figure out how you're going to achieve that business metric. We just want you to get that metric. That's refreshing. So, So even your PM is usually like, or product owner or whatever you call them, Mm -hmm. they're not really telling you what to do. They're telling you, this is the business metric we're trying to achieve. Here's how I think we can achieve it with either this new feature or whatever. Here's Mm -hmm. how we're going to measure it. Now you, the technical team, go figure out how to actually build that and make it happen. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's um, maybe this is a Silicon Valley thing. Maybe it's slowly spreading out of it. I don't know know, because I've been mostly focusing on startups my whole career, Mm. but it's very much down to the lowest engineer, you know, the business impact that you're trying to have ideally. Um, I know that Uber, for example, famously one trick they used was instead of story points on their stories, they would estimate everything in revenue. So it was like, I'm working in a feature that's worth $5,000 revenue or whatever. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, that's but they fa- had a very fabulous.
1: mercenary structure.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I have I have heard of OKRs, but you're the first person to explain it in that way to me. So that that is extremely refreshing. That feels like a ima- me If that did spread, that would be fabulous.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, love that. That's like um, the main, the ideal way to me to organize a team in companies is to give them these OKRs, and then each team has like a product owner, a designer, and a couple of engineers, and maybe and probably a people manager. Mm-hmm. Um, because usually in these companies, your manager isn't the person who's telling you what to do. Right. They're just there to clear obstacles Sure. and essentially make sure that, you know, the team isn't running in 10 different directions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: um, oh, that's a I love that trend. I hope that does continue to spread. That's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I feel like uh, uh, I feel like we've sort of achieved the result that that I was hoping for. Um, I I wonder, I do wonder, maybe people who are listening could chime in, you know, at at us on Twitter. Uh, Here's the thing that I'm mostly curious about is how specific these trends are, you know, OKRs, but also this notion of viewing an employment contract as a very temporary thing, like that, like, does everybody do that? I, I have a, I guess, you know, thinking back, I have a few uh, students and colleagues and friends that are in that space. And in fact, they do, you know, that region. And in fact, they do jump jobs like every year and a half. It's like, where you, where are you now? You know? yeah. Um, but is that, is that true everywhere? I wonder, I wonder if that's.
1: Yeah. Uh... I don't know if it's true everywhere. I think part, I think it's probably true in Seattle, New York, uh, San Francisco, probably also in, the big Asian cities that I don't know which ones are hot right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it mostly has to do with how many companies there are and how fast the companies are growing and changing. Because you know, like the startup I'm with right now, when I joined in summer last year, we were around 40, 50 people. Mm -hmm. And now we're almost 300 Mm -hmm. in like a year and a half. Like once we reach five, 600 people, that's a very different company than a 40-person company. And some people are able to and willing to grow with that. Others just just don't like that kind of company. Like somebody who works at Google when Google has 10,000 employees versus when they have 100 employees, those are very different kinds of people. Uh, And the way you work is very different. So I think that's a big reason why people change companies often. And there's also just a lot of companies.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, there's not enough. I suppose that that especially developers right now are kind of spoiled for options because there's, I mean, every everybody I know that's either yeah. in the this, in this space at all is like there's a talent crunch like mm-hmm. never before. You know, like yeah. people just can't hire fast enough, not even close, like it's been bad, but now it's even worse.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I, I've heard people getting like 30% plus raises just at their jobs and two yeah, so raises by switching jobs yeah
0: yeah no i believe it's
1: yeah because the you know there's too much money sloshing around and it needs to go somewhere
0: <laughs> you heard it here first folks <laughs> okay cool so yeah this has been really this has been uh, pretty eye-opening for me so i appreciate your time where yeah. can people go to find out more about what all of the different things that you're
1: doing um Best place is to go. Swissits.com is where I have a blog and a newsletter at Swissits on Twitter if you want to chat. And if you're curious more about specifically senior mindset stuff and advancing your technical career, that's on seniormindset.com.
0: Cool. Fabulous. All right, man. Great talking to you. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, you too. All right, folks. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and this is Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey Jonathan again, the next time someone asks you for your hourly rate, I want you to stop what you're doing and go over to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free value pricing email course. That URL again is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Hope to see you there. Hey Jonathan again, do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.